right. So joining us from Chicago, Max Hatlam. How's Here school I am. going? Is that what we're talking about on the show today? Yep. It's all back to school <laughs> episode. <laughs> it's been weird, man. It's been cool. But, you know, schools looks a lot different when you're in your 30s. Um, yeah. You guys watch a lot of movies in school? It's funny you should say that because I watched uh, a film in class this morning because yeah. <laughs> that's my uh, story in fiction and film class. So just coincidentally, yeah, every Monday morning now I watch a full length movie for class. It's very interesting. And that's kind of what I was saying you t- to you the other day in text about uh, not being able to shake the feeling that I'm in like summer camp right now, as opposed to actual college. <laughs> I think the least educational movie I remember watching in high school, for some reason, we watched Meet the Fockers. Oh, my gosh. In school? For what class? I want to say like (laughs) careers or something. Oh. (laughs) What it pertains to. But yeah, that was definitely up there. Our science teacher really wanted to watch Tommy Boy, but I think that got nixed. Meet the Fockers was Ben Stiller, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just think about watching that back then and thinking like someday this dude is going to (laughs) direct Severance, one of my favorite TV shows. I didn't realize uh, the cable guy, as much as that was like the big Jim Carrey vehicle, Ben Stiller actually directed that. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You go back and watch it. It's pretty dark. Like it's I know it got Mm -hmm. slammed for not being like the typical Jim Carrey vehicle, but Mm -hmm holds up i mean a lot better than like liar liar or yes man does i remember liking that one quite a bit i don't know if it was just because rise against used a clip from that movie (laughs) before a song on their first record it's just jack black going are you ready to rock oh nice (laughs) yeah but i remember hearing that you know when you would like that was always the thing back then are you ever watching something and you like hear it in context and you're like oh shit i've heard this in a song somewhere like, what was it? Oh, it was Succession. Uh, Brian Cox's little speech where he goes, everybody's got a game. And I'm like, oh, shit, that was in Billy Woods. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I saw Succession and White Lotus both kind of cleaned up at the Emmys. I don't think we ever really mm-hmm. talked about those on the show. We talked about them offline, but I don't get like what the parameters are because White Lotus won for best limited series, but now they're coming out with a season two. So like, right. it seems like kind of a, a loophole to be able to win alongside Succession. Was it a limited series at the time and now it's gotten this deluxe treatment? I don't know. I don't know. I think it was kind of the same thing with, uh, what was that? Big Little Lies, where it was supposed to be one season, but it was like so successful. They went and writ a whole like follow-up season to it. Right. That was very bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was obviously only supposed to be one season. I kind of have a little more faith in White Lotus being able to, to come up with more stuff to do. That seems like a very rich topic and a lot of different characters you can create. It's going to be like an anthology thing for the most part, I think, right? Yeah. I think maybe there's like a few characters that cross over yeah but man even within that first season like i would have loved to get more time with steve zahn's character just such a fucking piece of shit but (laughs) so yeah no i'm excited for more white lotus well that's what i'm curious about because isn't white lotus the name of the hotel that they were staying at yeah but it could be like you know around the world there's different white lotus i guess okay because yeah i saw aubrey plaza is going to be in the next season which (laughs) that'll be tight but she said something about being in venice so i was like well is it the same Mm -hmm. 
place or like what's the through line is this just like true detective where it's a similar narrative structure maybe mm. yeah no i think i think it's probably going to be yeah different locations of the hotel chain or whatever yeah did you get around to seeing only murders in the building season two yeah no i i can't figure out the hulu login i can't <laughs> i feel bad texting my parents about it i feel like all the streaming services are getting wise to that oh yeah like yeah. i think disney knows i'm in chicago now <laughs> they're like enter this code that i'm texting your mom and i'm like uh <laughs> No, I've, I've hit that point, too, where I'm like, I can't keep texting my mom every time I watch something on Amazon. <laughs> Why she, don't I write down these passwords? That's the thing. I even started writing them down. And she's like, well, no, I had to change it. Right. Did you watch Only Murders season two? Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't want to put any preconceived notions in your head, but. Um, well, we got to talk about it a little bit, though. I mean, the only thing I'll say is I definitely got the feeling kind of like uh, we said with Big Little Lies, where it felt like it probably should have just been one season. Mm. And I mean, I haven't seen Big Little Lies season two, so I don't know if the quality drop off is as stark as you kind of made it seem. But uh, yeah, to be honest, I haven't seen it either. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if I should be making like broad pronouncements like that. Yeah. It has a very bad reputation. Right. Yeah. It's like True Detective season two. We'll say that. It's not as big a drop off from season one to season two of True Detective, but mm. you get kind of the sense of, okay. Was this necessary? Yeah. It feels a little more like maybe season one would have just been a really elongated movie script and now they're riding onto it and onto it, you know, but oh. um, I mean, it's still like kind of a harmless comedy though. It's fun. I like those characters the set design and everything's really well done so yeah I, I think a lot of it is just the dynamic between those three yeah. main characters and actors they're just fun to watch together for sure so you haven't got into andor at all no uh-uh no since that's on disney i'm locked out of andor right now also just uh i don't know if after obi-wan i can just go right back and be like <laughs> okay yeah let it try to break my heart again. And I know, I know this is the one where everyone's saying like, oh, this is what we've wanted. Like one of my favorite reviewers, Dave Chen was saying, this is what I've wanted Star Wars to be. This is what I wanted the whole time out of Disney Star Wars. Yeah. I get it, man. But like, I've heard people say stuff close to that before. Right. And even if there's people saying that, it's like, I feel like it's the, it's the last Jedi thing where that means there's this uh, vocal contingent that's going to pop out and be like, well, this isn't what I want. Right. Right. Uh, and it, I just don't want to deal with like any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't felt a big urge to check it out, which is too bad because, yeah, it does sound like it's the one where I probably have the most potential to like this one. And I like Rogue One quite a bit as far as like Disney Star Wars goes. What are your feelings on it at this point? I think Rogue One is far and away the best thing they've done. Yeah. Star Wars property. So that kind of like it's a double edged sword for me where I'm like, ooh, that's good. They're diving back into this, but also like, are you just out of other stuff to try and build upon at this point? So you're going mm. back to the one thing the fans haven't turned on yet. I'm kind of in the middle. I don't know. I, I saw the news that James Earl Jones finally retired from Darth Vader's voice and they're just going to automate the Vader voice from here on out using AI. Yeah. I feel like that just kind of summarizes where I'm at with Star Wars. Like yep. it's too old to really continue. So we're just going to automate the process from here on out. Right. I thought they had done that even with Rogue One. Yeah. I think they announced they did it with Obi-Wan. They just didn't tell anyone. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah. you can kind of tell because it sounds a little funky, but it's better than... I think someone trying to do a bad James Earl Jones impression. Right. It just feels so like soulless to me. Yeah. 
even the general in Rogue One, they fully recreated him where he was like Tarkin. Yeah, he looked yeah. like the dude from Shrek. Yeah, I mean, uh, even then, I was thinking like, man, that's gonna look real bad to me in five years. Do you have any interest in the new uh, Pinocchio? Have you watched any of the Disney live action stuff, dude? No, that's again like that feels like the most soulless bullshit to me, and I can't relate to the kids anymore with that aspect because I know like people say. These younger generations think 2D animation looks cheap. Yeah. That just tells me right there, like, okay, I'm I'm just at a completely different place with this stuff. Like, as far as, like, the classic Disney animated movies, Pinocchio is, mm-hmm. like, probably my favorite. Yeah. And I still can't even, like, garner enough interest to, like, watch it. It just sure. it's so dumb. Like, for me, I feel like animation just ages so much more gracefully than live action stuff. Yeah. Like you're saying with Rogue One, like, that's going to age so poorly. But, like, yeah. I remember being completely fine as a kid watching Pinocchio and 101 Dalmatians. And those are movies from, like, the 40s and 50s. Like, I imagine know. a 60-year-old movie captivating any kid's imagination the way, like, Cinderella or Snow White does. Like, Yeah. I mean, I don't need mean to get all nostalgic, but it's just such an incredible thing. Like you just said, yeah. it was made in the fucking 40s. Right. Like, I forgot they even could do animation at that point. You know, yeah, the- Fantasia, I still think is one of the most incredible film works. Yeah. I fucking love Fantasia. The technology and animation. I mean, it's advanced, obviously, if you look at computer animation, but mm-hmm. from, you know, 1940 to 1990, like, Aladdin doesn't look that much different than Sleeping Beauty, whereas yeah, sure, bed knobs and broomsticks or something like that from the '60s, like it looks vastly different from live action movies now, just because of the costumes, the camera, the lighting, like everything progresses so rapidly with technology. I just don't understand it. And even like you can say you're making a live action Lion King, but all you're really doing is filming landscapes and adding CGI lions. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't understand the rationale of like making photorealistic animals that are going to talk and sing. And (laughs) right. Do they sing in that one? Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember watching the Lion King and they're just like casually walking and singing. Just can't wait to be King. And I'm like, okay, what is them looking so lifelike and so realistic if they're just gonna <laughs> that is just such a strange blend of things is there any kid that's like i can't watch this movie those don't look like real lions i need my singing <laughs> lion to look like a real lion why wouldn't they at least maybe i'm too stuck on the animation aspect of it but like i mean that is like using the art of animation in a cool way but it's just such a weird application of it should have just been a more fun interesting uh i I don't know what i'm trying to say (laughs) should have been more fun i know i'm not the first person to say this but i feel like if you're gonna be disney and you have all this kind of established clout and people will pretty much flock to almost anything you put out why not like remake some of your misses like Hercules could have been better. Why don't you try and remake that or Hunchback of Notre Dame? You don't have to go right for the ones that everybody already likes. Yeah, I've never thought about that. But I mean, that's a really good point. And I wish it worked more like that. Even outside of Disney, how often do we see like bad movies get remade or like unpopular movies get remade? It's always the opposite because they're just banking on IP recognition at this point. But I'm trying to think of like 
something that we could see a remake of something that we all had our hopes high for and then just let us down. I mean, they've kind of been doing that recently with all the Stephen King adaptations, whether mm. even though some of them haven't been great, like Pet Cemetery, it was really good. You know, that had potential. Hey man, original Pet Cemetery rocks. <laughs> no, it was. I'm saying the new one sucked. Oh, I see. Okay. I gotcha. Dark Tower. That should probably get another crack. There's, there's a good one. Yeah. That was pretty recently, but I was interested in that. I liked those books. I did not like Matthew McConaughey looking like a total fucking doofus for two hours. Do you want to try your fantasy update? The fantasy corner? Yeah. So we usually try to stick to just movies and music, but we do some tangential areas of entertainment. I'll sneak in some pro wrestling or, you know, Ben will talk about Applebee's. Um, Since we have someone with such varied expertise, we're going to go to our fantasy expert. I'm going to sit back and play with sound effects. Give us an update on what's going on this season, Max. <laughs> All right. We are uh, over in Fantasy Corner. We're looking at a couple heavy hitters this season between Hot D, <laughs> House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel, and Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, the prequel to Lord of the Rings. So it is a all, all all around great time to be a fantasy fan, Ryan. Uh, we are just seeing the proliferation of the genre, uh, and and not just that, but there's a there's a great variety between them too. It's we're not just getting the same flavor of fantasy. But you've never watched Game of Thrones, right? I've never watched right. any of these properties. What the heck? Right. Okay. So Game of Thrones. This is critical. Think of it as like fantasy succession sort of okay um a lot of incest i hear with oh yeah even more this time around we're gonna get to that i don't know what that's uh, all about just hold your horses I'm sorry sorry <laughs> oh, i hate to see that kind of stuff now i lost my trade of thought Ho-ho! hot d a little more pared down i would say what? you know a little more <gasps> the category of political intrigue this time around well sort of if you're coming to this for the battles and stuff Decapitated him. i don't think you're gonna be completely thrilled with what you get there's some cool stuff in that department he just had him for lunch. but it is very very much more about the acting and the relationships oh, that's brutal. and the line of literally the line of succession. Sorry to use that word a million times. He is on fire. Also, a key thing to know about House of the Dragon what was that? is that it's being adapted from what is essentially like a fantasy history text. Bad decision. So as opposed to Martin's Game of Thrones trilogy, which reads like <laughs> other uh, adventure novels. He can't do that. But Fire and Blood, which House of the Dragon is based on, what? is like this really interesting Holy history book of his realm and specifically follows this family who's like always the, the ruling family, the Targaryens. But it gives like different perspectives. You know, there's like three or four people that say, well, this is what happened. No, this is what happened. And so this book never gives you like a definitive answer on stuff, which is a great, great part of Fire and Blood. The book is definitely... I would say not as subtle. I think at first it seemed like it might be staying more true to like, no, we're not going to tell you exactly how things happen. I, I think as the season goes on, we're losing some subtlety. There are definitely things that are just very blunt and maybe not the best writing. I think some of the dialogue is pretty strong, but some of the writing gets a little weak at points. I think it's crippled by, this is like the big thing you'll hear people talk about with this show, is the really strange time gaps that you might not be used to like just randomly between an episode it may have been six months that passed or two years 
And you may have some indicator of that by like the size of a baby getting larger or like a, one actor being swapped out for a slightly older actor, which is cool because you get all these different actors and performances and that stuff can be really fun. But I think the time jumps maybe made it a little difficult for people. So we're only on like episode five or six at this point. Mm -hmm. And we just did our biggest time jump, which was like 15 years. So like a lot of actors got swapped out at this point. I still felt like the new this episode, this last episode was very strong and will probably continue to go in like a stronger, more solidified direction now that we're gonna be changing actors less. So I'm very excited about this show right now, just to give my like quick review of it. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm very much enjoying it. I mean, I was a big fan of Game of Thrones. Like a lot of people that like that show, I did not think the ending or like last season, last season and a half were very strong. But like, this is totally up my alley. I love just watching these actors like look at each other and try to figure out what they're thinking. Everyone's really good, man. Like even the younger, there are some younger actors that are quite central to the plot. And I was really stunned by how some of them were just like hanging with these actors that are decades old older than them, like pros like Matt Smith, who are just crushing it. But these younger actors are like doing great as scene partners. And it makes up for, you know, like I said, maybe some of the writing being not. Goes nowhere. The only thing I've heard is started very strong and it's kind of tailed off. Do you feel like that at all? Or you just feel like it had a really great start and it's just building up to its next moment? I feel like the pilot was one of the best TV pilots I've seen. I think even for me, it was a rough transition from one to two. You know, because two is where you really establish what the show is going to be. And I think a lot of people were looking at that and saying, oh, so we're not really jumping around the globe as much as we were in Game of Thrones. We're maybe not seeing as much like action even just in little ways but i think that as it's gone on it's proven itself to me completely it's tough man the first five like i said they took place like 15 years in the past and i think in retrospect we'll really look at them as like almost a prequel to the show itself gotcha and i think that last night's episode is really kind of where the show took off so it's hard to say at this point but i after that i'm like we are on upwards trajectory at this point. Like things are going good. Are you nervous at all about the uh, showrunner changing hands already? Um, I'm not because it seems like it was more of a planned thing as opposed to some behind the scenes drama. Just the language that was used around the whole change seemed like everyone is on board with it. Mm-hmm. And I think Miguel Sapochnik, who is the showrunner at this point, who will be leaving, he was brought on to kind of transition us from Game of Thrones to this. He did. He directed some of the best episodes of Game of Thrones. It made sense to bring him on for this. I think now that they've gotten people in the door, it makes sense for him to go do whatever he wants to do and someone else to get a crack at it. I mean, I think that was the problem with the last series is relying too much on Dan and David. What a disaster box! fucked it up at the end. Sorry. I, that's, again, like, not totally fair because they thought that they were gonna have Martin's books to look at the whole way through. So it's kind of like, I don't know whose fault it is. Backpedaling. But fresh blood is always good if you ask me. All right, so what about this Lord of the Rings show that's apparently so bad, Amazon's blocking reviews for 72 hours. What? Did you hear about that? No, what? They were getting review bombed for each episode, so they put a, I think it's, yeah, 72 hours have to go by for each episode release before anyone can write any reviews on it. 
Is that just the like the racist bullshit reviews? Bad sportsmanship. Because you know about that, right? No, I haven't heard the racist. I just heard. Yeah. So as is tradition now that with any kind of fucking thing. Yeah. There's these idiots that have to come out and be like, oh, the elves. You can't have black actors play elves. What the heck? And shit like that. You can't have African American actors playing elves. I don't know what that's all about. Because Tolkien always said that they were like fair skinned or whatever. The shit that people latch onto is fucking wild to me, dude. There's so much shit that you could point at and be like, yeah, well, this is also different, right? But it has to be that. They have to, I don't know if it's subconsciously that it's happening, that these people are so fucking stupid that they don't realize how racist they are, but like... No, I hate to see that kind of stuff. It's, yeah, okay. Anyways, let's... Let's get past that mentally somehow. And as as with all those things, it does take away from the people that have legitimate complaints about it, which I'm sure there are. There are a lot of book fans that are like, wait a minute, these, this is completely different from, and not, not the race stuff, just like, oh, the timeline is different. This character is different to me. He can't do that. Our good friend, friend of the show, Matt Browning, is, is a big Tolkien fan, and he's read not just the trilogy, but like The Hobbit and the extra materials that are much more concerned with like the world building of yeah. Tolkien's world. And so he texted me after watching a few and said, oh man, they, they changed this main character a whole lot. Oh, and there should be room for that for those kind of legitimate criticisms of like oh it's, this is just kind of different than what i had envisioned and this isn't quite the story that um as i see it but a lot of fun to watch from my perspective a little more detached from it and into the film side of things i often recognize that things need to be adapted for film in a pretty big way in that like you can't just have this um badass god of a character be your main character because that's completely uninteresting they need to have an arc they need to grow in some way right. and so that's kind of what happened is is this character that everyone has always envisioned as this like spectacular badass has been made to like have quite a few things to learn along the way and so i think there's some contention amongst the fan base due to things like that like i love the Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies. I own all of the extended, you know, six hour editions of those and love watching those. Time is winding down. Still haven't read this stuff. I'm getting around to that. Maybe it is because I'm not as involved with it that I'm not as thrilled about this one. This is critical. And it also could be that it's just the different flavor of fantasy. This isn't so much political intrigue. I mean, I guess you could argue there is some what? of that, but I would say it's pretty elementary and boring Backfilling. version of that uh, compared to what you're getting with Hot D. What? Pretty, I mean, lighthearted by comparison, right? Like, I and that I enjoy about it. Like, yeah. there is definitely some levity missing from the other show that you can come to this one for. And yeah, it does feel like maybe just a bit more fun to like hang out with some of the characters. Um, there are some that are just like incredibly charming. Like there's this relationship between an elf and a dwarf character that are just like, it is one of the best on-screen friendships I've ever seen portrayed. I love it. Um, like every scene with them is awesome. So yeah, there's some there's some stuff like that that's pretty great. But like, yeah, it is a little more in the category of like 
sweeping epic story. I think in some ways it tries to replicate the, unsurprisingly, uh, the first, the, the original Game of Thrones series in that it's like jumping around to a lot of different characters whose plot lines aren't necessarily connected at this point, but likely will be in the future. So some of that, it can be hard to like ground yourself with. This show needs to pick up its pace. That's that's something I think is pretty fair to say about it. I and think the clock is ticking down. as interesting and as fun as some of the characters are, it's unfortunately not holding my attention quite as much. Goes nowhere. Sometimes the action or just like a set piece will be just phenomenal. Like, and, and then it reminds you almost sickeningly, like, oh yeah, they spent like $80 billion on this or some fucking stupid Bezos number, you know? But at the same time, like I've been trying to remember as we talk about this stuff, there's artists that put time and effort and not just money into those scenes. And so I want to I want to commend that because there is some very beautiful uh, scenes with very beautiful music. I've got to see that again. That almost hits Peter Jackson trilogy level for me. So that's cool. Holy smoke. So you'd so. say at this point, Hot D is to got the lead. I mean, yeah, but I'm so biased, man. I've read all the <laughs> Game of Thrones books and watched the show. I haven't read any of the Tolkien books. So it's just, I think that's my lane more, is just like political intrigue and incest. What? You know, it's... <laughs> no, <laughs> to be fair, I should say, because I said we would address the incest. There are times watching House of the Dragon where I stop and say, like, what am I doing with my life? Like what? And, and knowing that there are like millions of people doing the same thing. I'm just like, yeah. what the fuck is happening? It yeah. kind of does worry me a little bit that I feel like we might be uh, normalizing incest in some ways. It's a different world. It's a fantasy. It's a different time. You have to detach yourself from it a, a little bit. But if you don't feel a little fucking weird watching that at times, then then that worries me. Right. It's kind of the people who like post Jordan Belfort quotes from Wolf of Wall Street. Like he's some kind of like inspirational figure. Yeah. <laughs> the point of the movie. <laughs> There's always that, man. Yeah. There's always the person that's like, but I thought they were the good guy. Oh, I keep forgetting to do this. We have some polls. Do you want to hear how some of our Twitter polls have gone? Oh, yeah, for sure. I love these. <laughs> All right, here we go. Got the news of Bruce Willis's retirement. We asked what the best Bruce Willis movie is. Um, 61% of the audience said Die Hard. 22% mm -hmm. said Pulp Fiction. 17% said The Sixth Sense. 0% said Sin City. We had some write-ins for uh, Death Becomes Her in the Fifth Element, but it was pretty overwhelmingly Die Hard. Nothing for Unbreakable? Nothing for Unbreakable. I guess it's not a great performance, you know? It's pretty just, he's just mugs the whole time, so. I always think of uh, Samuel L. Jackson for that one more. Oh, yeah. I'm curious what your answer on this. So you only get one video game console for the rest of your life. You can't say PC and use a bunch of emulators. You only just get one console. Any of them? Any console, yeah. Oh, man. Um, I, I would go with the PS2. PS2? Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I guess it'd be smarter to go with like a PS. Well, that's cheating too, right? Because uh, PS5 can play all the old games. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah, no, PS2, man. It was that or N64, and then I I pictured holding that fucking claw controller in my hands ever again and threw up. So yeah, I always thought PS2 was just like my favorite because that was when I grew up as like a 12, 13 year old kid playing video games all the right. time. Right. Middle school was a good time for video games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's got a good library though. It holds up. So the percentages go PlayStation 4 got 44%. PlayStation 2 got 25%. Super Nintendo got 17. 
Mm. and regular Nintendo. Nintendo Entertainment System got 14%. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I thought that we would have been weighted more towards Super Nintendo because I know there's a lot lot of people that love that one. Yeah, I was a little surprised. PlayStation 4 got the most. Probably some recency bias, but the best Green Day album is... Oh, man. Dookie with 50% of the vote. (laughs) I was arguing that it was Nimrod. That got... Oh, interesting. Yeah. American Idiot got 36%. Wow. Um, Insomniac got zero. (laughs) Oh, huh. And, you know, Warning and all the other stuff were not even on the ballot. So No one wrote in. No 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 one one wrote in for warning. (laughs) I had some write-ins going, oh, man, it sucks. Insomniac doesn't have any votes. But then those people (laughs) vote for Insomniac, so... Is what it is. Uh, they just wish someone would. Right. Yeah. I mean, zero is harsh. Okay. You only get one for the rest of your life. Alkaline Trio or Blink 182. What's your pick? Um. Oh man. Well, I was really into Blink 182 growing up, and yeah. not into Alkaline Trio. But I almost feel like I would get really sick of the Blink stuff real fast. So I'll, I'll go with Alkaline Trio. <laughs> that was my vote as well, but it's, <laughs> it's the minority. Uh, Blink 182, 89%. Best show of the summer, 41% went to Stranger Things, 34% went to The Boys, 22% went to The Bear, and 2% went to Miss Marvel. What would you pick out of these four? I mean, I still haven't seen The Boys, but more Miss mm. Marvel in all fairness. Yeah, I think my show this summer might be Stranger Things, as much as I like to bitch about it. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about you? Uh, I'd go with The Boys, and yeah. then Stranger Things, and then I'd put Miss Marvel in there. I liked Miss Marvel. And then, of course, we got the best movie of the summer. 50% went with old Top Gun Maverick. Uh, 33% was Nope. 11% was Thor, Love, and Thunder. And then 6% Jurassic World Dominion. So. Okay. You- you finally saw Thor Love and Thunder. What's yeah? What was your opinion of that? Um, I wanted to have a different opinion than what everyone else did, but I think Taika maybe got a little too high on his own supply, or like <laughs> I think he probably just has too much going. I, I really think that he's like a workaholic. Yeah. He's like if Guillermo del Toro actually did everything he said he was going to do <laughs> right. instead of nothing. But th- there's some fun stuff in it. There's some good jokes. It's fun to see Natalie Portman again yeah um chris hemsworth i think he just loves the character and he brings more to it every time i think which is like truly incredible that he was one of the original guys in this marvel experiment and he's still doing it like how many movies has he done at this point and he's still enjoying it and he loves just like goofing around with taika and doing fucking yoked uh (laughs) funny thor which makes it even funnier, I think, because he's just you rarely see this handsome, muscular, badass dude just like down to make a total fool of himself. I love it. Wish it was better. Hard to come off a of Ragnarok because that's like still probably that or Winter Soldier is my favorite Marvel movie. Yeah, it felt like he was trying to do a little too much, a little disjointed. It was pulling in a lot of different directions. I feel like he usually has this ability to thread the needle between like lighthearted and and serious topics like i was very into jojo rabbit and hunt for the wilder people is still my favorite of his films um i don't know and it might be my personal relationship with cancer too but like it did not work well for me like anytime that we switched to that plot and she was just looking bad in a bed i was like no (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i feel like there was a little bit of a missed opportunity with how dark and how serious they could have taken christian bale's character with just 
constantly going for the easy joke of like the screaming goats and stuff over and over uh, again. And it's like, eh, I wish, I wish it was a little more grounded. It didn't, it didn't have that balance for me. Yeah. I think you're right. I think they went for the joke a little too often. I'm usually for that. I usually like when they go for the joke and yeah. subvert the sentiment, but now I needed a little more heart. Yeah. It's one of those things where like Ragnarok was the whole unexpected element of adding this much humor. And now going into this, you expect the humor and they just double down on it. It's like, well, it's not as provocative. It doesn't catch you off guard as much when you're just expecting it to, okay, it's just going to be jokes the whole damn movie. (laughs) Right. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap up here. Yeah. Any recommendations? Let's see. Um, Have I recommended the um, soundtrack from Marcel the Shell? No, I've no heard about that movie, but yeah, I don't think it ever came to Fort Wayne. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately, because yeah, it sounds like the movie is good too. So, Disaster Piece, who I've talked on the show about and always am forever talking to you about, did the score for this one too. So, he's doing a lot this year between Marcel the Shell and Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I think those are both um, scores that are worth checking out. You got anything? found a couple pretty good hip-hop records lately. I really like that new Danger Mouse Black Thought record, uh, Cheat Codes. One of the most consistent records I've heard this year. It's just really fucking solid. The production on it was pretty great. I think I was telling you that I, I just really like where hip-hop is at right now, especially the production with people just experimenting with song structure a bit more than what we used to get. Yeah. Um, there's just more disparity now. There's more difference in throughout the song. Yeah, um, there's more progression. It's not. Yeah, there you go. Progression, chorus. You know, <laughs> there's a yeah. lot more changes throughout the song. I, think. I love it. There's a lot more piano in hip hop right now, which I think people pulling a bit more from jazz and soul yeah. and things like that. Yeah, there's some really good like old soul samples on this record. Just the whole record has a really unique sound. It almost reminded me of like Mad Lib stuff with Freddie Gibbs. Yeah. Oh. I was going to say the 20th anniversary of About Schmidt is this year, which is a really dark, kind of dreary look at how boring and meaningless life is. And I love it. It's one of my favorite movies. (laughs) It's a very like satirical middle American portrait, kind of like in the vein of a Mike Judge, but stars Jack Nicholson as like a recent retiree. And then his wife passes away and he kind of finds himself like on his own, trying to make something out of his life without his job or his wife. Funny, depressing, um, a weird mix of things. Does have some nudity from Kathy Bates. So you're forewarned for that. I feel like I have to throw that in if I recommend this movie, but it's very good. I enjoy it a lot. I don't hear a lot of people talk about it. Alexander Payne, who wrote and directed Sideways and Election, uh, Nebraska. Oh, yeah. It's very much in that same kind of dry humor vein, but it's it's great. You should definitely check it out if you haven't. I think it's on HBO Max now, so... Usually I can just start. I got to announce you as something now. What? As seen on America's Funniest Home Videos. I was on Shameless as a body double once. Victoria <laughs> Harris, my sister, <laughs> uh, renowned educator. Uh-huh. Do you guys still show a lot of movies in class? Is that a thing? Um, not virtually, no. And also when I was in person, you had to like get it approved through a bunch of different people and have every single parent sign a paper. So it really wasn't worth it. Did you go to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert in DC? Sure did. How was that? Well, I actually went for the strokes. Uh, My boyfriend Dylan loves Red Hot Chili Peppers. 
And I didn't know much about the strokes, but I was actually gutted because I went into it like, oh, I'll just go blind and enjoy myself. They've been on my bucket list forever. I didn't know that they're known for being drunks. So I got there. They forgot to play last night and someday the oh, two man. main songs. <laughs> and the the guy is just rambling. Absolutely. I was secondhand embarrassment the whole time. I was so upset by that. So that was a bummer. But yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers were fine. They're the Chili Peppers. Right. California and drugs, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I heard you had a paranormal experience at the Stanley Hotel. <laughs> well, mom thinks so. I think Can there was a sword no? on the floor. <laughs> yeah. No, we stayed in like the side hotel, actually. We didn't stay in the one that Stephen King stayed in. We stayed in the one right next to it. Okay. Which is um, supposed to be less haunted, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, our drawer would open all the time. And at first I, I thought she was doing it on purpose. And then I told her to watch it and was like, it opens every couple of minutes by itself. Uh, so she was convinced it was ghosts, but I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, if you work there, you got to kind of like figure out some tricks to do with the guests, right? They expect that a little bit. Honestly, I think they lean into, uh, we don't want to do renovations. So like, you know, the lights <laughs> flickering, that's ghosts. That's um, part of the atmosphere. Yeah. The, this dresser <laughs> won't shut. That's a ghost too. You know, they just lean into that. So what did you think of the rehearsal? Did you like binge it all in one sitting? How did you consume this experiment? Well, actually, we started it uh, during travel. So we downloaded it for the plane and I'm a horrible flyer. So I wanted something lighthearted and I it started getting <laughs> so trippy that I was like, we need to turn this off. And I need it on a full screen with probably subtitles yeah. because what is going on? Yeah. So we start. we watched it on vacation. We binged it when we could. And then when we finished it, when we got back and I think it was it was after that episode with the it ends with him turning the vegetable that has a sticker on it upside down which was hilarious, but uh, we were like, we need a break because <laughs> he went like <laughs> 10 layers deep in that episode where <laughs> he was pretending to be his actors and then living in their home. It was hilarious and insane, but it was a lot to process. So took a little break there. I still don't know what to make of it. Like, I feel like the whole time I was just waiting for a punchline that never came. I mean, one of the reasons I really like Nathan Fielder is he's such a private person. It's the same for Bo Burnham. I, I have a lot of respect for people that I don't have like <laughs> we'll get to it later, but I don't have to read about their behind the scenes drama all the time because they yeah. nothing's getting out. You know, they right. keep to themselves. And Nathan Fielder is to the extent where they say he's even created his public persona. And, like no one knows what he's even like as a person, which is insane to me. But right. so that being said, I feel like we will never know what he intended <laughs> or yeah. what he wanted. You know, like that's just going to be up to interpretation, which I think is kind of how it's supposed to be, you know, yeah. to an extent. What I thought was. I thought it was a message of empathy because <laughs> Nathan for you, his old show, really funny. There's lots of episodes I do like, but I've never seen all of them and I never will because shows like that, like hurt me to watch sometimes. <laughs> like when it, you know, it's like, this is a real person and sure, maybe yeah. they're doing it to themselves, but like, that's a real business and I feel bad. Yeah. And I felt like he probably has gotten that feedback before of like, yeah. you know, you're doing this to people, they're real people. And it felt like a response to that. That's what I, that's what I got from the story is he starts out lighthearted and he gets us in on it. Like we're all laughing together and then it gets, starts to get more serious. And then by the end, it's like, well, you laugh too. So <laughs> like right. you're part of the problem. It's funny you say that because I felt like the exact opposite. Like I love Nathan for you. I've been digging back into that on Hulu and it's hilarious and I can laugh at it because it's business owners, I guess, and they're doing kind of for the publicity a little more. Whereas like the rehearsal, I did not enjoy it. I felt really uncomfortable watching these people just make fools of themselves. They were like, you know, 
I just don't care about business owners, I guess, as much as I care about a little kid who thinks Dr. Fart is his real dad and <laughs> made me sad. Yeah. So with with the kid thing, what that meant to me was parents project these things onto children. They project what they want and then they blame other people when it comes back to bite them. You know, he asked those parents, do they know what acting is? Did you tell them? And they're like, right. no. <laughs> well, then why did you sign them up for yourself? Right. Obviously. Yeah. Um, and then I think that was kind of set up where it's com- it's ridiculous to see Nathan Fielder get down on his knees and try to parent a child that's not his. Right. It's sad, but there was a comedy aspect to it of how ridiculous. Right. You know, it felt like, yeah, it was all this framework of like the lengths we're going to to be entertained, like yeah. to build all these sets, recreate all these situations, take this kid away and like make him think that I'm his dad. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't know, it hit me kind of at the same time. I was watching Nope and it felt like a similar kind of commentary on the whole exploitation of kids in Hollywood. And I think we finally hit a point where we realized it's not just like, oh, Lindsay Lohan went crazy or Amanda Bynes went crazy. Like it's kind of the structure in place of putting these kids to work at such a young age and they just burn out like Britney Spears doesn't ever want to be on stage again Justin Timberlake already sold the rights to all of his music like these people are just fried after spending an entire career in something they may have never chosen for themselves had they fully understood what they were doing or like yeah like you said the mom is like yeah I'm not even sure if you know my son really knows what acting is it's even worse with like reality stuff or like social media where you have kids that are in unregulated environments. Whereas with a show like this, there are strict rules on how many hours they can film and all this stuff. But if you're a influencer, like a kid opening up toys on YouTube, your parent can sit you there for hours on end, just milking content. And it's makes you think, man, that's gotta be a shitty childhood. Well, yeah. I mean, from pulling from my history of working with kids that you see that all the time of parents, just reckless decisions making because people really just aren't prepared for parenthood most of the time. Right. And they're just kind of acting selfishly and not realizing the repercussions it has on the kid. And that was another thing. It's like, we're all laughing along as this kid, he's pretending to be dad with this kid. And then also we feel guilty because we're like, oh yeah, we were supporting that. And oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I definitely felt like he's obviously making a point out of it, but I also kind of wonder like, did you just go in with this vague idea and edit together a bigger narrative at the end? Because it doesn't seem like there's a real plan to all of it. That's what I was seen. wondering too. Yeah. Like aside from the whole entertainment exploitation angle, my interpretation of it was like, He's basically trying to portray this like flawed creator, almost like he's playing God. And it's not necessarily a commentary on religion, but maybe more so as us trying to use technology to play God with social media and projecting these perfect images and trying to get everything planned down to a T and how absolutely ridiculous we make ourselves look and how insane it is to try and control every aspect of our lives and be prepared for everything you just turn into a fucking robot insane person (laughs) and so i think that's a great message i think it's funny but i did not enjoy watching it but also kind of like the flawed trying to control everything but not really being able to that plays into well does he have a plan for this show or is he just 
getting a blank check from HBO to do whatever the hell he wants. And if we get some weird people on film, they're going to say some funny stuff eventually. I would love the behind the scenes that he'll never give us. Same with Bo Burnham. He gives you a little bit more, but I would love to know what was going on in their heads and their editing process. And like, (laughs) what did it start as? What did it become? Because Nathan's was like all over the place. And he just have, he has like a gift for finding the most insane people. That dude that was talking about the numbers everywhere. You can't write that. (laughs) And like, insane well no and that's kind of the whole exploitation angle where it's kind of a similar thing with tim and eric awesome show like they would have these people that were clearly just out of their minds but they wanted to be entertainment they wanted to be actors so like you have a guy like david Levehart who's playing with these dolls and singing songs and stuff and he loves it but like they're also like very clearly taking advantage of this guy and making easy content out of it so i don't know it's an icky feeling i don't know how i feel about it (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the same for Nathan for you. It's like yeah. these people chose to be here. They are, right. you know, gullible enough to buy it, but it's still, yeah. you know, that empathy piece. But then they announced season two of the rehearsal. So now <laughs> right. I'm like, is this part of a rehearsal for us as an audience? Is this a joke? Yeah. Or are they serious? That was the ultimate so, slap in the face. Where it's like, how is there a season two? Are they really yeah. going to get these people to come back? Like, there's no way his rehearsal wife comes back after the way she's portrayed to be like crazy Christian lady, right? Well, Actually, uh, I'm a Redditor. I've been on the threads and (laughs) pretty much all of these people are on Cameo, you know, where you can like pay someone. (laughs) And she kind of, I think it was kind of a spoiler. She said something like, I know you're all excited for season two. I'm not allowed to say much yet. As if like maybe she isn't involved. Well, and there's a lot of like using the whole reality construct to create this illusion of reality. Because even in Nathan for you, sometimes you're like, okay, like how many of these people are real? Like, are there some actors here? Because you found like some of them, like, who is it? The off-season Santa Claus was actually an actor. And there's a couple of them where it's like, okay, so maybe some of this was staged to look real. And you kind of wonder that a little bit with the rehearsal because he's obviously working with a bunch of actors and creative situations and talks frequently about his fascination with magic and being like a modern day illusionist. So there's definitely an aspect to that where it feels kind of almost like a Penn and Teller or something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I saw people, that's why they were initially researching Angela so much because they were convinced she's an actress. But, you know, overall, it's like, I don't really think that would even ruin it for me if I found out she was (laughs) because I just think it's the overall experience of it. And I think a lot of it is probably real, but who knows? Who knows what is... (laughs) grand scheme was we went and saw don't worry darling friday you commented to me that you thought the audience was going to be made up a lot of harry styles fans and i thought there can't be that many harry styles fans of fort wayne indiana but i think i was wrong based on the reaction you're incorrect there are harry styles fans everywhere yeah there was a lot of a lot of gasps a lot of laughter when ugly harry styles showed up at the (laughs) That was great. I Yeah. And like I told you, I'm fairly certain those girls next to us had the sex scenes time stamped. Like they were like, this is it. This is it. Like tapping each other. So I think, yeah. and which also, I mean, that adds to the thought of like, what would this movie have been if Shia LaBeouf was in it? Would it right. probably wouldn't have the media circus? It, yeah. I don't, it would have been a whole different experience, I think. But to his credit, I was expecting not great things from Harry. I think he was fine. His accent was a little wonky. And like I said to you, I don't know if they wrote in that he chooses a British accent for that world yeah so he didn't have to try (laughs) that was a little weird i honestly didn't know if he was doing it the whole time like even in the beginning i was like wait is he british in this or not (laughs) yeah me either that's the thing that people there they said he has like a wishy-washy accent like he he can't control it he's in and out of it he can't decide (laughs) so that was my only real complaint about him i think he was okay and everything else i 
yeah. I mean, that was just what I thought. He was decent. But, you, yeah, you and get into the behind the scenes drama. Can you even like separate the behind the scenes drama from the end product, or is that always kind of in the back of your mind? This movie was the final straw for me, I think, where I realized unless someone is doing really terrible things and being abusive, and you know they need to be held accountable, I don't think I care <laughs> what they're doing on set. I don't think no. I care if the director's not liked. I don't. <laughs> You know, there's so much drama and so much hate towards her, which I really do think a lot is rooted in sexism. But grand scheme of things, the worst thing they have on her is she might have gossiped a little, twisted the truth, and she got called out on it. And that's great. Told her accountable to that. But nothing really worth all the drama. Well, hang on. Opinion. Hang on. Let's go through the timeline here. All right. <laughs> Let's. Okay. Where's the timeline start? Well, it all started with the TikTok, wasn't it? There was a grip that got on TikTok and was talking about the drama on set. Olivia <laughs> Wilde wasn't showing up. And there was like second unit directors pretty much doing the whole movie until Florence Pugh called her out on it. Okay, so that is one I can't get behind because as many people say it, just as many people that were on set deny it. So it's like, okay, what are we doing here? Is this just made up? I don't know. I'm not saying it is made up, but I'm just saying I really don't know. I know that's one of the rumors that she didn't direct it and that she was sneaking off with Harry Styles and then people were mad at her because she left Jason. Yeah, for him, something I quite frankly don't care about. But yeah, I mean, that's really all I saw. I It's well, clearly something happened because Florence, yeah. I mean, she's made a statement by not making a statement. Right. But I have no idea what it is. It has the air of a Kanye West album rollout. Like this kind of seems like it could be phony just for publicity, but also like maybe there's some crazy here. I don't know. Well, I've also heard that the Harry Styles fans are pretty out there, pretty intense. And so they've just been fueling the fire. That's why it's so huge. All the drama is because they've just nonstop been into it. (laughs) So Well, it doesn't look good on Harry though, right? Because that was allegedly from what I read. The reason that Florence was kind of agitated to begin with is because Jason Sudeikis was like visiting the set and bringing their kids and stuff. And Florence and Jason are kind of friends. And for Jason to be bringing the kids, trying to visit his wife on set and she's off having an affair with a British pop star and her friend Florence kind of witnesses all this. I think that, yeah, probably adds some tension if it's accurate. Yeah, but Harry is the man. So no one's mad at him. It's fine. Is poor young Harry. I, I'm not just saying that. I honestly don't see anyone complain about him. I mean, no. Very little. <laughs> it's mostly Olivia Wilde centered and mostly yeah. trying to pit Flo and Olivia against each other. And so Florence Pugh was like very clearly not going to do any publicity for this movie that she's the star in. She said she would go to the Venice Film Festival and that's it. And so that's kind of drawn a lot of attention that she has not publicized this movie that she's in. Meanwhile, Olivia Wilde gets served divorce papers while on stage at CinemaCon, which it was kind of like while COVID was going on, she even pointed out herself like this was a very calculated move. Whoever had to come in and serve these divorce papers from Jason Sudeikis while I was on stage had to go through like COVID testing and everything just to get in the building. So very calculated. Yeah. Retaliatory event. Yeah, that all seemed it seems 
that's why I think I feel weird about it. It feels like I'm watching a couple go through their breakup in the public eye when it's none of my business. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like humiliating her like that. Even he, I mean, he had his publicist come out and say, oh, we would never. That's ridiculous. But, you know, it does feel like, well, then how'd they get there? What right. do you mean? <laughs> yeah. When was it? I think it was the first COVID year, like 2020 or 2021 during the Emmys when Ted Lasso was nominated for everything. And like they were going through their breakup and you just had Jason Sudeikis on a Zoom call just high out of his mind in a tie dye hoodie. Like, oh, wow. Thanks. This is really great. Like, <laughs> felt so bad for him. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh. But I did. I mean. I mean, like he has said himself, I think I read these interviews. They were firsthand interviews from their mouths. And Jason's yeah. side of the story was, I think we'll get back together someday. And then from Olivia, she was like, I'm so glad we're able to move on. So yeah. clearly it's just like a personal discretion. Of- Her quote was like, there's a reason that relationship ended or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. again is like, I feel like you don't need to explain to the public why you broke up. Uh, no. That's a little weird, but I mean, we've been over that. It, directors do this all the time. They date their co or their stars. They hook up with their stars. Very little repercussion. Not a big yeah. deal. Usually that means she slept her way into her role and she's a terrible actress. Yeah. And then Harry, it's just like, oh, poor Harry He's being <laughs> manipulated by Olivia, I guess. I mean, I think the whole reason it's a big narrative is just because of the transparency. The reason that this got out into the public eye and it's been in the public eye for like a year and a half now. I don't necessarily feel like it's a witch hunt or anything where she feels like, oh, everything's being blown out of proportion. It's like, well, there's kind of some stuff there. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that was just proven was the Shia incident. And, yeah, you know. He has his own problems, but I think that it's still important that he was like, that's just not true. And he just released yeah. it like more power to you for just, you know, yeah. cut and dry. <laughs> yeah, because she was basically, I mean, that it basically shows you that she's trying to save face and put a positive spin on this whole thing is we didn't want him on our set when he was like, no, I quit. She called me and begged me to come on. Here's the receipts. <laughs> yeah, I think she's very, I mean, it's tough when, when. <laughs> When a lady's doing well and then she tries to feed into the feminist icon thing and then she screws up and that's like, oh, great, you've ruined it for everyone. But right. um, she's said some interesting things. First, that the Shia thing was framed in a, you know, I'm a feminist. I wanted Florence to feel comfortable, so I fired him. Yeah. And then that looks super <laughs> bad for him to come right. out and be like, that's not true. You begged me. And then you kind of. I mean, she's a little snarky saying little Miss Flo, like that didn't seem (laughs) very pro woman. And um, so uh, Dick Van Dyke's grandkids wrote this originally, right? Yeah. And it's two men. Yep. I read her saying how I guess there were a lot of sex scenes in the original and it was important to her allegedly to make these rewritten and more women centric, which I wanted to bring up because it's really interesting. First of all, the first one that all the gals next to us were going wild for, she's just made this beautiful dinner and she just lays on the table and tosses it on the floor for no reason. Like she's not even there really. It's like yeah. she's reaching her arms up. Why are you throwing all your hard work on the floor? Right. Sec- the second sex scene is really kind of problematic because she says no <laughs> like straight up and he keeps going yeah. so i don't know at one point she was like i feel like we've really done it ladies we've made it more about the woman yeah i think that's the thing that kind of like just makes me feel weird about it it seems like she's hiding behind like oh everybody's being sexist because i'm a woman as a director there have been plenty of male directors who've hooked up with their stars of their movie or whatever and that is true but 
I think it's more about like the transparency of everybody just seeing this all unfold before us. Whereas like if this would have happened in like the early 2000s, it probably just would have been like a whispered inside Hollywood secret. Whereas now we're all watching on Twitter, especially like when the Venice Film Festival finally hits and Florence is going to be there. We're all waiting like, oh, shit, what's going to happen next? And then you have video that makes it look like Harry Styles is spitting in Chris Pine's lap. And we're like, did he spit? Did he not spit? What happened? And you have this completely idiotic quote from Harry Styles where they're probably all coaching him like, don't don't say anything stupid. Don't make this worse than it already is. And so he talks about how like, oh, yeah, the movie's a movie because it feels like a movie or whatever. And people are like printing it on T-shirts. It's just I think how hyper aware we are of everything with just being too plugged into information constantly and something like this just engulfs our attention when it's just we just got this little peek into this soap opera and it just snowballed but let's actually talk about the movie a little bit because we did go and watch the movie i was interested in the movie the trailer looked really good but it didn't feel like for this big mystery that was supposed to be unraveling florence really didn't have anything to do in the whole exposition of the movie besides have sex and have weird dreams like that was cook a lot yeah yeah that was the plot (laughs) yeah and It's really funny that Harry Styles like quote that was going around was it just feels like a movie because to me, it felt like a Black Mirror episode that I would have rather watched at home. (laughs) You know, it was that that USS Callister episode where they're all stuck in Star Trek episode. It was just leave it to Beaver instead. It was like a very pretty, more Instagrammable version of the Matrix. Yeah, and it was beautiful. And up until the uh, probably last 30 minutes. I kept thinking like, you know, wow, I think this is the first time I'm really going to go completely against the public opinion, completely against what Rotten Tomatoes is saying. And I think it's good. (laughs) And then it got to the last 30 minutes and I was like, darn. (laughs) Where where was the turning point? Where were you like, okay, this is, there's no coming back now. I didn't have high hopes for the ending. It wasn't like, oh, uh, they're going to blow my mind. I had seen some things that was like, you know, it's pretty standard story. But I, you know, like I said, the acting was good enough for me. Florence is always captivating to watch in my opinion and the outfits the scenery all beautiful the directing the cinematography all great and i really i did like the score i thought they had that creepy breathing um yeah and i did feel tense like what's going on when are they going to reveal it and then i think when it really went down i mean you couldn't stop giggling every time the red suits came out so i was like all right we're (laughs) taking these guys seriously they look like the people from us like yeah it was somewhere between the the us doppelgangers and uh agent smith from the major yeah it just doesn't make sense no (laughs) as soon as they tried to start explaining it i was like i wish you just hadn't honestly yeah Yeah, like we said his whole incentive is supposed to be what that he couldn't get a job so i guess then he gets a job to support putting her in there or he doesn't want florence to have to work so he's there yeah i mean washed all day yeah that just didn't make any sense and her being a poor surgeon didn't make any sense they should have said she was in med school like i have med school friends i know they don't make money but yeah that that did not up none of that did when it went to modern day i was very much transported to m night Shyamalan's the village like yeah okay this feels like a very cheap twist. I mean, something about it somehow, and I truly didn't read it beforehand. I knew that at some point there was going to be a modern day. Yeah. And I think maybe it was because they weren't talking about any like pop culture or current events or presidents. or it's, That sort of threw me off, I think, yeah. of like, oh, okay, there's probably something going on here. But it also the Chris Pine's wife, I don't know her name in the story. Her, I think her real name's Gemma. She just comes in and is like, 
it's my turn. And you're like, wait, what do you mean? And then it, that's all they say. Yeah. <laughs> so they had some chaos in the last 30 minutes. I, it wasn't very good. I think there's the foundation of a good movie here. Like you could have this whole patriarchy matrix uprising, but it just, yeah, there's so much going on that just doesn't add up like why is harry styles spinning with a big band for like 20 minutes in the middle of the movie why did she see a plane crash that never got explained they never address where the men all go for the victory project i did you have any theories as you were watching as to what the victory project was because initially i thought okay this is just going to be like them working on an atomic bomb or like mind control or something like that very 1950s yeah that's kind of what i thought too i thought it was going to be weaponry i thought it was be something of them you know clearly controversial and something that the women would be upset about because you know and especially in the 50s setting the women are always the ones who like epitomize empathy and you know emotion and the men were the ones that were going to war and doing all that stuff so so when they leave though when they leave for the victory project i think they did explain that that just means they go park their car and they're taken out of that vr thing that's when they just go to like a real job in the real world (laughs) <laughs> Which is why it doesn't make sense that his whole incentive is because he yeah. couldn't get a job because he gets a job. I would think <laughs> she's making more money as a nurse than whatever he's doing. Listening to podcasts. On- <laughs> Not a nurse. She was a surgeon. A surgeon. Like I'm She so was sorry. pulling That's- in money. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That just did not make any sense. The plane is the biggest one that because then I was like, oh, maybe they're in some sort of like bubble and they got a glimpse of the real world out there. I don't know what the plane was. It never got explained. That was again, it was like just this weird little herring to try and push the story forward. But then it just never goes anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like Olivia, she saw the script and was like, hey, I bet I can make this really pretty. And I think she did as as long as that was her. I can't prove her or deny that. Right. Um, but maybe if I distract them, they won't notice all the holes in the story. No. <laughs> right. And it didn't work. No, I did <laughs> But work. I will say in their defense, I know I'm the Rotten Tomatoes person. On Rotten Tomatoes, I don't think a 33% is fair. Like no, I, there's still so much to it that I at least enjoyed myself for most of it. Yeah, that was extreme. There's two thirds of a good movie there. Yeah. You're a teacher. I do that 66%. Maybe that's what's in my head. A 50% (laughs) is what you get for just trying. So anything below that is like, what do you mean a 33? No way. 33 is like malignant. Yeah, exactly. That's what it should be. (laughs) I think it's probably got a better Rotten Tomatoes score than this. Oh, I guarantee it. It randomly (laughs) turned around and everyone decided it was good. So I think it's like an 80. But yeah, it does seem like this was doomed right out of the gate just because of all the expectations, all the drama, all the pressure put upon it, which it's hard to really defend it when it does have so many issues. But I also don't think it's like a train wreck either. I hope she gets another chance. I mean, she was a good director. There were a few points where I was like, it feels like there's a weird amount of coverage on this where like, I'm not actually seeing what's happening with like the eggs breaking in her hand or like the glass pushing up. I don't know. There was something weird about that where I was like, this feels like a second unit or something. Like there's not enough focus on this to show what's going, but it also is like (laughs) a hallucination. So I don't know. Like they go to that black and white clip of the dancers in a circle or whatever. So many times they obviously filmed the shit out of that, but like, you can't show me the other angle of the egg cracking in her hand or like, I don't, it seemed a little odd. It seemed a little sloppy. So like as much as I don't want to just buy into, Oh yeah, this girl couldn't have directed this movie because she was off having an affair. It does seem a little carelessly put together. Yeah. I actually forgot about that. She never even brings up the eggs. Like no. never says it. Yeah. <laughs> she There's just cracks lot. it. 
and she looks at him before she even cracks it. Like, I bet there's nothing in this. Yeah. Like, Wait, why would you know that? <laughs> right. But they never like show her hand or anything. It's like there's a scene missing. Like you would do it like yeah. you didn't have a budget to do multiple angles. They just keep fueling the fire. And I'm glad it's honestly, hopefully over. I mean, the movie's out. I hope they don't keep pushing that. Who knows, honestly, but... Don't worry, um, darling, reloaded. But it did really well. Either the drama helped or it didn't, but yeah. it made its money that it right. needed to. So, yeah, I think she'll be fine. I think everyone involved will be fine, except maybe uh, Jason Sudeikis. I think he's probably still sad. The real thing to look out for is when uh, Jason Sudeikis makes the disaster artist version of how the whole thing got made behind the scenes. That'll be... Who's yeah. going to play Olivia Wilde in that? <laughs> maybe herself. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, do you have any uh, recommendations you want to leave us on? Currently watching Handmaid's Tale, newest season, improving. It's one of those shows that unfortunately is dipping up and down. It's getting better. What season are they on? Five. Five. Okay. And then they've got one more after this, they've said. So gotcha. Paramore's new music comes out Wednesday, first time in five years. So that's exciting. And I watched American Horror Stories. And I would say do not ever watch that. Well, good <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye.